Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat at Big Meach 41 and soon to be on TikTok. That's right. Now, this is the special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. Now listen, I know that this is a Bearcat-focused podcast, and you know we've done a bunch of interviews with former players, but I really wanted to switch it up a little bit for this interview. My guest today is a very accomplished sports journalist, but more importantly, he's a great person and a great friend. He hails from Queens, New York, and currently resides in beautiful Los Angeles, California, a monster in print, radio, and television. And we're going to get into those things as we talk about his journey shortly. But the Bearcat Basketball Podcast would like to welcome in my man, Rob Parker. What's going on, Rob? Alex, man, thanks for having me and uh, all the people listening to your podcast. And, of course, you're playing at uh, Cincinnati. And, of course, you know I've spent some time in Cincinnati, so I know all about the Bearcats. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about that now. How are you surviving with this pandemic, and how are things in L.A. right now? Crazy. You know, lockdown, they want most people, if you're not essential workers, to stay home. I have a national radio show called The Odd Couple on Fox Sports Radio, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. And uh, I'm doing it from my apartment. They bought me equipment. Yeah, I mean, that's where we are. You know, FS1 has... uh, suspended uh, our studio show, so I'm not on Undisputed with Skip and Shannon or The Herd with Colin Cowherd. That's out the window for right now, so that's crazy. And I also teach at USC sports journalism, and again, we're teaching remotely, so it's just a new world, and, uh, you know, it's just uh, something that uh, somebody would have told you that the country would be shut down, or LA and New York and some of the biggest cities in the country would be shut down, Alex, nobody would would have believed you. No way. And, and, you, and you sent me a text, which I thought was really spot on. If you could tell everyone a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on right now about hitting that reset button. Yeah, yeah, that's where we are. We are in a reset and uh, doesn't happen often in, a, in someone's lifetime. But, you know, we're going to emerge. This will be a different place, a different world. Uh, we already know the damage done financially is going to be huge and just how we do things as we go forward. So my message to to my friends, and I hope to write a little piece that may be an open letter to America next week or so, would be that you should use this time to organize your life, mm-hmm. to go through those closets, to, to to bag them up and get that stuff to the Salvation Army at some point to help other people. you know, And you know what I'm talking about, Alex. You yep. go over the same couple pair of jeans, you wear the same couple <laughs> pair of jeans, and you and you go past the other ones every day. You just will every not day. put them on 
but you won't get rid of them. It's just right. like the weirdest thing. And same thing with sneakers and shoes and stuff that you don't wear. And then also organize your life as far as uh, your financial papers, your will, you know, any, anything that you, you know, have, have uh, put to the side and not taken care of. This is the perfect opportunity to declutter and uh, so that when we emerge from this, um, you're ready to go and you're ready to hit the ground running in this new world that will be uh, in front of us. Yeah, well said, and I think that's spot on. And and, and on a lighter note, um, and it was a good thing that this didn't affect the Golden Girls cruise that you went on earlier this month. Alex, I just got in underneath the wire. My God, I just cannot get over. And I, I was on a cruise, and we cruised from Miami to um, – Cozumel and to Key West. And when we boarded the ship, there was a thousand people for this, just fans of the old 80s TV show, The Golden Girls, that used to be on NBC on Saturday nights, which was a huge ratings hit. But uh, when we boarded the boat in Miami, they they asked us, have you been to these certain countries, you know, where, where uh, the coronavirus was very prevalent. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was going on, going in. And then we cruised for five nights, and at no time was there any kind of medical emergency or did they say, hey, somebody's sick and, you know, you need to do this or that. And when we got off the boat, I thought maybe, you know, there might be um, some questioning or, you know what I mean, or some sort of at customs or something. And we had, uh, when we got to Key West, we met with customs. And when we got off the boat, we literally grabbed our bags and walked off the boat. And so we had just under, you know, just got underneath and had no issues or whatever. And then, you know, I self-quarantined myself. It's been mm-hmm. 16 days now. And uh, thank God, feeling good, no issues. You know, that's usually what they tell you, even if you don't have any symptoms or anything, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of put yourself aside. So um, we're moving forward, but it was a great time. And, you know, uh, if you've never seen the show, you need to <laughs> you need to watch it. The writing is so good. It, it is. And my, my brother, I was talking to my brother last night, and I, I told him that I was talking to you today and doing this interview, and he follows you on social media and all that. My brother Tony's like, why did he go on the Golden Girls cruise? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, a black dude from Queens, New York. Yeah. On the Gold Coast. And I said, and, and listen, my brother and I grew up, you know, we watched a lot of those shows, Golden Girls, Murder, She Wrote, Magnum P.I. Right. Was some of the favorites in this house. And the one thing with Golden Girls was there was nothing trendy about that show. It was There were no tricks. It was just classic writing. It, it was. I mean, and if you know any of the characters, it's four old women living in Miami together, sharing a house. <laughs> and Blanche was like the kind of tramp, trampy woman who was a tramp when she was young, and now mm-hmm. she's a senior citizen's tramp. And it was just <laughs> so. So my favorite line in the in, in the whole show is uh, Blanche's and Dorothy, who was the who was um, had her mother living with her, and she could never get a date, and she was always kind of dumped mm-hmm. on, you know, Dorothy. But um, 
So they're in the kitchen, and, and Blanche is looking out the window, and it's raining, and Blanche says to Dorothy, oh, the rain, the rain reminds me of my first kiss. And Dorothy goes, wow, how romantic that is. Your first kiss was in the rain. And Blanche goes, no, it was in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, about whose first kiss is in the shower? You know right. I mean? <laughs> yeah, that was a classic, classic show. Now, classic. You, you write for the Shadow League. And yes. one of the last articles that you wrote that I read was about the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame being about numbers, not narratives. Correct? Yes. And and can you talk to us a little bit about that, about that article and what you were talking about with that? And that's going to help me segue into a, a question I have. It's going to be Cincinnati related. Right. It is it is about numbers. And, and here's the issue that I have. Okay, so I'm a Hall of Fame voter. I want you to know when I started covering baseball back in uh, – I started covering in 1986 and um, in New York at the Daily News, covered the Mets and Yankees, you know, part-time. Uh, and then I, I wound up getting my full baseball writer's card in 1990. When I got my card, my number was like 596. Uh-huh. That means it was 595 people who had covered more baseball than me. So as you get, as you go move on in your career, your number gets lower, lower, lower as you, as you go forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, now today, 30 years later, I've been a member for 30 years. I'm like number 98 under a hundred, which is just mind boggling wow. to me. Yeah. When you think, but when you talk about the hall of fame, the problem I have with the, with the Bonds and Clemens and Sosa, I, I, I just don't think it's fair to pick out a couple of guys and use them as the scapegoat or the face of steroids when most people you talk to in baseball said it was widespread. Mm-hmm. Go Google people, players caught on steroids. More pitchers have been caught than batters. So when you look at Bonds, you look at Sosa and, and some of these numbers, some of these guys were facing guys who were using this stuff as well. And, mm-hmm. I, and I just think that if you showed me uh, that you took a test back then and only Bonds and only Clemens and only Sosa and McGuire had used it, then, then fine. Then I could, I could accept that. But I know that's not the case. And even some of the players who we've let in of late, like a Pudge Rodriguez who was mentioned in the Jose Canseco book, mm-hmm. um, Jeff Bagwell was a long time, you know, uh, rumored guy of using it. Um, Mike Piazza, another guy who was rumored for a long time. These are all stuff that's out there, but yet they were able to get in. And for some reason, people hold something against Bonds and Clemens and Sosa. But I do believe that Bonds and Clemens will get into the Hall of Fame. It might be their last year on their 10th year of of uh, voting, because I think people realize these guys are some of the greatest players pre-steroid and Mm post-steroid. You know, it's not like Bonds was a scrub. Bonds had won uh, three MVPs in Pittsburgh before he even got to San Francisco. And another thing I always like to quiz people, I always ask people, how many times did Bonds hit over 50 home runs in a regular season? Do you know what the answer is, Alex? I don't. Just take a guess. I want to just hear what just how many times he had fifty or more home runs. Oh, in a season? Yeah. Uh, uh, 
three. Once. Once. Just once. And that was, of course, when he hit the 73. That's oh, wow. it. So so when people talk about it, it wasn't like he took the juice and every year he hit 50, 60 home runs. It really didn't pan out like that. So I always just think that people, that what their idea of what went on during that time mm-hmm. isn't really match up to um, – to, to to what really happened. Barry Bonds is the greatest baseball player I ever saw. I, I saw Willie Mays at the tail end. I saw some of these other great players at the tail end of their careers. But I'm talking about that I watched their entire career and saw. I, I never saw anybody better than him. Hmm. So um, I, I believe he, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I've been voting for him his first seven years on the ballot. He has three more years to go. I've been voting for Clemens. Clemens is another guy. Bonds has seven MVPs. Clemens has seven Cy Youngs. Clemens had three early and four late. Bonds had three early and four late. Mm-hmm. So and when I say late, later in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so those guys, to me, are Hall of Famers, and I do believe they will get in before their time is up. And a quick side note, you mentioned Jeff Bagwell, and I've only caught a ball at a baseball game one time in my life, and it was a foul ball from Jeff Bagwell. Wow. I'll never, yeah, I'll never forget that. Only time I've ever caught one was from him. So you mentioned that name. Anytime I hear that name, I think of that. Right. Did but, you have a glove or you caught it with your bare hand? <laughs> well, funny story, real quick. Um, I or did you invited, pick it up when it, let, I, when it stopped rolling? I picked it up, but, but I got to tell you the funny story behind this. I was invited to opening day, and as you know, opening day tickets here in Cincinnati are really tough to get. But I was that's a holiday. Are you kidding? We know uh, that. You know, it's 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 craziness here, and um, I'd only been prior to that to an opening day game one time, and a guy that I know worked for Fifth Third Bank, and they had a box, they had a suite, and he said, "Hey, I'll take you to opening day, but here's the deal: if you catch a foul ball." you have to take my son, who was like three years old, and train him in basketball for like the rest of his life. And it was a wow. joke. Wow. It was a joke going riding right. in the car. And we get to the game. We're in the suite. Jeff Bagwell's up. He hits a foul ball. I'm in the suite. A lady has a dish full of like little, um, you know, hot do- little mini hot dog treats and little pizza right. things. And the ball's coming towards her. She moves. It hits hits her leg, and it rolls right to my foot. I pick it up, and I look at the guy. His name's Larry Casisco. Larry goes, you're training my son the rest of his life. And I said, I'd be damned. That's a true story. That is that is unbelievable. That, <laughs> that really is. It is. Only, wow. Yeah, only time. Let me ask you this. So, as you know, super hot topic in Cincinnati, and um, a lot of Cincinnati sports fans are very biased when it comes to Pete Rose. What are your thoughts on Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame? Pete doesn't deserve to be in. Uh, Pete, you know, messed with the integrity of the game. So some people would say, well, if you use steroids, you do the same thing. It, it's not the same. And and I'll tell you, and then, you know, for a long time, the argument people had was, well, but he never he never bet against the Reds. He only bet for them to win, which which – First of all, Alex, if you're a gambler, you don't believe that. <laughs> don't believe a, that at if all. If you have a bad pitcher, pitcher going for your team, even though it's your team and you know he stinks or he's been bad lately and you can make some money, don't tell me you wouldn't bet for him to get lit up. 
You know what I'm right. saying? So, yeah, so, for sure. so that whole argument is is ridiculous. But anyway, even if it was the case, here's how Pete Rose could still uh, mess with the integrity of the game. He has a big bet on the game, and he has a doubleheader tomorrow, and he's trying to win the bet, and he might blow out his bullpen trying to win that game. Where normally, right, you wouldn't. You would just have to take your lumps in that game and not put any other pitchers in because you know you have a doubleheader tomorrow and you can't be short. Mm-hmm. So you could use a pitcher or two that you probably wouldn't have used if you didn't have a wager on it. Mm-hmm. So you could mess with the integrity of the game the next time. And here's the other part. Pete would be in the Hall of Fame. He got bad advice, and I don't know who talked to him or he was just stubborn. Had Pete Rose admitted it from day one, asked for forgiveness, say he was going to Gamblers Anonymous, people would have forgiven him. Baseball even tried. They softened. You remember when the, the All-Star game was in Cincinnati a few yeah. years back? Oh, yeah. And what did they do? They allowed Pete Rose to take part. You remember that year the thing was, I think you had to pick the three best players for your Mount Rushmore for every mm-hmm. team. And Pete Rose was obviously one of those players. Mm-hmm. And they allowed Pete Rose to take part, come out on the field in Cincinnati. So there was a little softening. And then Pete Rose wrote a book, finally admitting it after lying for 14 years to make money. And it's just the timing was so bad. Baseball was pissed that he would, you know, he would do that after where they were. I don't mm-hmm. believe he'll ever get in. And I think most of the damage was done by Pete Rose. Yeah, I think a lot of people outside of Cincinnati feel the same way you do. But when you get here in this city and you talk about Pete Rose, I mean, oh, they... I, I get it. He was a great player for, yeah. for people who don't know. Uh, you know, younger people, millennials, dude, he was a great player, a guy who you loved if he was on your team and you hated if he was on, was playing against your team because that's how good he was. Oh yeah, for sure. And you and you were here. You covered the Reds, which a lot of people don't know. They see you on Undisputed and um, listen to your radio show, The Odd Couple, and they don't know you spent a lot of time here in Cincinnati and covered the I, Reds. I, yes, I left my hometown paper, the Daily News in New York, and I was covering the Knicks. So I had a great job in New York, but I wanted to cover baseball. And the two baseball writers who were at the Daily News at the time covering the Mets and Yankees were young guys like me, younger, you know, a little older than me, but not old guys. So I looked at those guys and I was like, I don't think I'm, I, I don't want to wait, you know, like wait for these guys to, for, for, they might never give up those jobs. Mm-hmm. So they contacted me from Cincinnati. I went on the interview and I, I swear to you, the way going there, I was like, I'm not. I know I'm not going to take the job, but I should go on the interview anyway, just to see or whatever and talk to them. And not only did they impress me, the people at the Enquirer, um, with uh, the interview and talking to them, and you know what I would be in charge with, they blew me away with the offer. They actually offered me more money than I was making in New York to come. And hmm. that that really said something to me. And I and I took it. And I spent. Two years, two seasons, the 91 and the 92 season, and I loved every single minute of it. And I, I had just bought a new condo over in uh, in um, 
in Kentucky, northern Kentucky. Yep. And I hadn't moved in yet. I hadn't closed, but I'd just gotten approved by the bank and everything. And during that, the Detroit Free Press uh, wanted to interview me as a columnist. I was 29. I was like, uh, I'm not really trying to leave baseball, right? But I can't turn down looking into a columnist job at that age. That was unheard of, a top 10 newspaper hiring a 29-year-old, you know, to be a columnist. So I went on the interview Again, went in with the idea. I'm just coming up here to meet people. I'm not interested in taking a job. I just got a new place. Cincinnati, I like a lot. I like everything that's going on. I had a girlfriend in Cincinnati. You know what I mean? Like, life was great. Right. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went up there, and they blew me away, and, and I left. And it was it was hard to, a hard decision. But at, when the Detroit Free Press hired me, I became the first black sports columnist they ever had. And the paper was 161 years old when they hired me. That's crazy. Yep, absolutely. In Detroit. So I had no choice. <laughs> but right. Just think about that, in Detroit. Like right. Detroit's 80% black. <laughs> in Detroit, they never had a black sports columnist. Outrageous. That, that, that is. Now, give me, give me your best red story while you were here. Um, the, you know, nothing but great players on that team. Eric Davis, Barry Larkin, Hal Morris, Chris Sabo, Rob Dibble, Lou Pinello was the manager. Mm. But I'm going to give you two sides of, of Lou and uh, real quick to just tell you what kind of guy. I have a lot of respect for Lou Pinello. I like him a lot. But we used to bump heads because I was a, a, a reporter coming from New York, and I, would, I, I didn't hide from the controversial story. So some of the players were telling me, that it wasn't fun playing for Lou. that And they started pointing out stuff to me. They said, hey, just take a look when when a guy makes an out. He doesn't go in. You remember the old riverfront, Alex? You, oh, there yeah. used to be two entrances to the dugout, right uh-huh. near the bat rack, and then the far one all the way down at the end because there was a fence there, right? Uh-huh. So um, I started watching that. So a player would make out. They would go drop their bat and go all the way to the back. So I'm like, what's going on? They go, players don't want to go by Lou because he's, you know, MFing them. He's he's cursing at them. He's talking down to them. So they, they don't like it. So they, that's why they go all the way down to the end to go into the dugout. So I was like, okay. So I wound up writing this story, and the players were afraid to put their name to it. But I thought it was an important enough story to write that I would shield them, you know, for inside information. I talked to a number of players, so it wasn't just one guy. Mm-hmm. trying to grind an axe or whatever. So I wrote the story, and the headline was Sweet Lou Turns Sour. And so we're in <laughs> St. Louis on a Sunday morning. And you know Lou was hot-headed and yep. fiery. So we're in St. Louis, and we're um, interviewing the players before the game. It was a day game. And Lou Pinella, some people have faxed a column from Cincinnati to his, to his office in, in uh, St. Louis. So he runs out of his office screaming at the top of his lungs, get your effing blah, blah, blah in my office right now. So now everybody's dressing in the locker room, in the clubhouse. So, I mean, everybody's there. So the place goes silent. Alex, it's a big moment in my career. If I, if I cower to him or just, you know, turn into goo, the players would never respect me. Again, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, this was yep. a moment of truth. 
So uh, I knew that, and uh, I turned around, looked him straight in the face, and I said, grabbed my clothes, and I said, do I have a red uniform on? I don't play for you, and I'm not going anywhere and all that yelling and screaming. I don't work for you. If you want to have a conversation or whatever, we can do that. But the screaming and yelling, I'm not going anywhere. He backed mm-hmm. off. He said, I apologize. Can we, have a, can we talk? And I said, fine. We went to his office and we talked. Players after that were like, dude, you are my guy. And it was just like, because they just could not believe that a reporter, you know what I mean, wouldn't mm-hmm. melt in that situation. And so me and Lou, we, we yelled at each other and whatever. And I said, Lou, these are your players talking. I'm telling you. So, you know, Lou said, okay, it's over. Like about three weeks later, we're in the uh, press corps after all the press are in. This is at, in Cincinnati. Everybody's there. I'm all my peers. And Lou, out of the, out of nowhere, goes, you remember the column that Rob wrote a few weeks ago? He's right. I got to change. I can't treat everybody the same. I have to uh, treat people differently. That's the way that when I was a player that the managers used to manage where they treated everybody the same. But it, it, you can't do that anymore. Things mm-hmm. have changed. So it, I, I was really impressed, A, that he even would do it in front of my peers. He didn't have to admit. He could have changed his ways without saying anything to me. Do you know what I mean? Or to mm-hmm. the press. So I was really impressed by that. And so so that's one story. And then here's the other story real quick. So I go into his office, and, he, you know, it's just the beat guys. There's like four or five of us, and we're sitting there. Lou looks directly at me, and he says, what's wrong? And I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, what's wrong? And I said, well, I, I heard last night that my father died. He, he immediately picked up that I wasn't my normal self mm-hmm. and knew something was wrong. I hadn't told anybody. My dad had died in Florida, and, I, and I, you know, I'm in Cincinnati, and I wasn't going to stay in my apartment and not work. I just felt like that would be therapy for me, you know what I mean, until I have to leave to go for the funeral. So I just decided to work and not say anything. Lou gets up from his desk, walks right up to me, gives me a hug, and he said, if you need anything, just let me know. And he said, you sure you want to work? And I said, yeah, I'd rather work than sit in an empty apartment. And he, so so I told you the two sides of Lou Pinello. Lou is a stand-up guy, a great mm-hmm. guy. I was fortunate to have him as, as the first manager I ever covered in baseball. Wow. That's that's pretty cool because a lot of times, you know, I'm thinking like a lot of fans, when you think of Lou Pinelli, you think of the guy who throws the face across the right. field Kicks and going the dirt. crazy. Right. Yeah, and, and that's and something we're going to get into a little bit later. Um, I played for Bob Huggins, and a lot of people viewed Bob Huggins as that same type of character, that he's crazy all the time. But if you got to know him deep down inside, he was the same exact way very loving and caring guy. So good, good stories. I know the people of Cincinnati will love those stories. Now you're a um, Fox sports one contributor, like we talked about on undisputed in the herd with Colin Cowherd co-host of one of the fastest growing radio shows in America on Fox sports radio called the odd couple. Now I I will never forget this. Uh, Rob, you had texted me one day and you were working in Detroit at the time and we got connected through a guy named James Moore. That's right. Was, a buddy, I want a buddy for both of us. Yeah, absolutely. And and James grew up 
um, in my in the same neighborhood that I grew up in and here in Cincinnati and was really good friends with my brother and James thought it would be a great idea for you and I to connect up. We kind of had the same type of of energy, always trying to help people and you know I was trying to break into some um, some things with journalism. So he connected us up. Um, you and I built a great relationship and we had talked while you were in Detroit and you texted me one day. I never forget this text and you said. I'm moving to to L.A. And I was like, what? And then you kind of, you know, told me the details. And you were like, hey, keep it quiet. I'm going to get the contract and all that. And, right. And, and the thing that hit me right away, Rob, was your ability to build relationships and how you treat people, I think, is a supreme gift. And I think that, along with your tireless work ethic, help make things like that possible. And I'm constantly, you know, talking and, and mentoring young people about building relationships and how you treat people. And I've had a chance to be in L.A. with you and watch you work um, at Fox Sports, just how you treat everybody from when you walk in the building until you leave. And it's truly a gift. And I think that has a lot to do with where you are today. I do not disagree. I uh, uh... I was raised to treat everybody the same. That's just how we operated in our family. It doesn't matter. Well, they used to call me the mayor of Detroit for that reason. <laughs> if I walked around the palace, it, it doesn't matter. People serving hot dogs, people pushing brooms, electricians, everybody would come over and say hello and talk to me, and I would talk to them because I, I, I don't look at just because of what job you're doing or whatever that means that we can't have a conversation or I'm on television. Oh my God, I'm not going to talk to the, to the janitor at the palace or Mm -hmm. whatever. People just want to be heard, especially when you talk about sports. So I always believed in giving people some time. I'm, I'm able to talk to the masses because of the job that I have. And most people, even in the supermarket or whatever, even then, People just want five minutes. They just that's that's what they want, and I have five minutes, and mm-hmm. um, so I always believe that you know whatever you dish out, uh, you get back in return. And I don't think it's hard at all to treat everybody the same. And I, I think you know people. I I could, I could also remember in Cincinnati there was a woman who cooked uh, at, at the old riverfront, cooked for the press for the media, and. Um, you know, I had just gotten there. Maybe I had been there three months. And so we're in line. I'm not going to say it was a veteran writer who was there. And uh, we're, we're getting our food. And and I said, uh, Sabrina, thanks, thanks, whatever, something. I said, called her by her name, and we started talking. And um, the writer said to me, um, I'm embarrassed. And I said, what are you talking about? So he says, I'm, I'm embarrassed. He says, I've been I've been here for over 20-something years, and I didn't know that was her name. That's the first time I, I, I knew, yeah, this is, and I said, this woman's cooked food, cooks your dinner during baseball season every night for 20-some-odd years at that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you don't know her name. She's married. She has kids. She has a life. She's not just some nameless, faceless person who makes uh, fried chicken and, you know, and, and um, 
Rice, do you know what I mean? She, mm-hmm. She's the person. And that's that's what I'm talking about. Uh, I want to know who's serving my food. I want to know, I want to, you know, I, I find out how they're doing personally, their family, uh, their triumphs, their, their whatever's going on. I, I, I want to hear that stuff. So I think that's why um, most people just walk by and they make people nameless and faceless, but they don't have to. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you, and I think, like we talked about earlier, with this reset with where we are as a country, hopefully people slow down and start understanding that more and valuing the time to talk to people. Um, when I came to uh, Undisputed with you one time, and um, you told me to meet you in the front lobby, and as soon as you came in, uh, the people working the front desk and the security we're like, hey, Rob, what's up? Hey, thanks for the gift card. You you had gotten them gift cards. It's just a thank you, and and I'm just like, that's that's how it should be. I mean, that that's exactly. So I think you're you're exactly spot on with that. And, and yeah, with that, it, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it's the same thing. These people help every day. They help you every day. It's a little right. acknowledgement. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. that's all it is. To acknowledge that they're they're part of they're part of they allow me to do what I'm doing. They're there to keep us safe, you know what I mean, or whatever. And I, I just appreciate. It. And you get to know people. I'm not gonna walk. I'm gonna walk by you every day on my way into FS1 and not know who you are. I mean, just, right. I, I see you every day. Right. I see you more than I see some of my friends. Yeah. I see you every day. How yep. could they not be a part of your life if you see them every day? No doubt. And and as we talk about that, um, with Undisputed, The Herd, The Odd Couple, all these different outlets you have, I'd like to jump into a couple topics so you and I can, you know, kind of go back and forth on some things. So with this coronavirus hitting, uh, the NCAA, along with the NBA, had to make some tough decisions. Now, the NCAA canceled March Madness. And just kind of scrolling through social media, at times it got a little disturbing for me that, you know, people cared more about the actual games being played than, hey, we've got a problem on our hands. We need to care about the people involved. So did the NCAA, you know, make the right call, um, the decision? Because obviously the NBA was the first to do it. Um, when, you know, they had two players test positive, they were like, we're, we're shutting this down until further notice. But you think the NCAA handled it the right way? And also, will the NBA even play the rest of the season? First, the NCAA, I thought poor leadership. I thought that they were more concerned with um, the $6 billion contract that they have with CBS, and they were trying to come up with all these ways of playing, no fans, all this other stuff. It was just totally all over the place. And and and, and I, I think the only reason, to be honest, because first of all, the Ivy League canceled its conference, right, uh, tournament. So yeah, the Ivy yeah. League was way ahead of everybody. So the NCAA shouldn't have been individual conferences. They should have sat down and, and thought it out. But, okay, so they did it. And then the Big East is playing games. The night after the NBA canceled this season, the Big East has a game. And Alex, you know this. They 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 canceled it at halftime. Why? How in the world would you like? How could that happen? Where's the leadership to say we're not playing today? They're playing a game, and it took till halftime for you to realize that maybe we shouldn't be playing. I I thought that was bad. And the NCAA 
the only reason that they canceled when they canceled was two things. You live in Ohio. The governor of Ohio said there would be no regionals in the state of Ohio because we're not having large gatherings of people. And uh, Duke and Kentucky said, oh, you're having a tournament? That's good, but we won't be there. Our team won't be there. And then all of a sudden, they canceled the tournament. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. That's bad. And, um, yeah, the NBA, as, as the time keeps ticking and more players keep getting tested positive to Lakers who we do not know who haven't been identified, but um, uh, that's that's another one. And that, and then think about this. They've now locked the facilities so players can't even go and practice or work out. I mean, and you know gyms all over the country are closed. So I, I just I don't know how a player, and you know this because you played at that level of uh, high level of basketball, you you can't sit around for two months and then play. I mean, right. do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so then are we talking about another two weeks to get in shape and basketball shape, and then are we playing playoff games in August? I, 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 I'm not so sure the NBA is coming back. Yeah, I, I would. I don't think they're going to play. I, I just, I don't, yeah. I don't see it happening. And and so just dealing in hypotheticals here, but if if the NBA was to go on, your prediction. Can you tell everybody what your prediction is as far as the championship game? Who did you pick to be in the NBA Finals? Well, I had Milwaukee and the Clippers before the season and, and the Clippers winning it, and I still thought it was going to shape up that way. That team so deep, and uh, Kawhi is such a um, money player in big games, and I just like the way that team plays. Last year they really impressed me, if you remember, when they traded Tobias Harris, who at that time was their best player. And everybody thought they were going to tank the season. They, they didn't. They they ran off, They had a run, made the playoffs, and then in the first round they played Golden State. And if you mm-hmm. remember, they won two games up in Oakland mm-hmm. when, when they had a healthy Durant, a healthy uh, Steph, a, a healthy Clay, and they pushed them. Durant had to score over 50 points in game six at the Clippers just to knock them out. I was like, this team has some heart. They play hard. They play they play defense. And then you go and add two really good uh, defensive players in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I, I, and then you have Doc Rivers, who's a championship winning coach, and, and just the way that team is put together. So I, I, liked, I liked them a lot. No, no, no Lakers. Didn't, didn't think the uh, Lakers no. could. No, I mean, the Lakers have a ton of talent, but I still – there's just issues. They don't have the closers. Anthony Davis isn't a closer. He needs uh, someone to get him the basketball. You basically have LeBron James and um, Kuzma hadn't really developed in his ro- role. You know, I think he's had an up-and-down season. I just like – I, I think, yeah, it was struggles. Uh, and it's a difference, and you know this too of scoring points last year when they were out of the playoff hunt and they weren't that good. It's different than playing in that role and then playing in games that matter. Uh, so I think that was last year. He just had the green light, right? Mm-hmm. He was a starter, he's a green light, and we were on a bad team. So you just did your thing. Um, and the other thing is, going back, like I said, they have LeBron, the known, uh, okay, he's a closer. Clippers have Kawhi, Paul George, and Lou Williams. They have three closers. I think mm-hmm. that's a huge advantage. 
Now, who do you think was on course to win the MVP? A lot of people are talking about LeBron. I know how you feel LeBron, about LeBron. That was a that was a false narrative. It's not even close. <laughs> not not even close. From this standpoint, Anthony Davis has better numbers than LeBron on the Lakers. Anthony Davis. The only the only thing LeBron had better numbers in was assists. Anthony Davis. Go look at Anthony Davis's numbers. So for for on his own team, and most of the time. When you have two talented players on the same team, they usually uh, negate each other, and it's hard to win an MVP. You remember Kobe and Shaq? They only Mm -hmm. won one between the two of them. Mm -hmm. It's hard because people, the vote is split. Mm -hmm. But this whole narrative about LeBron, and and then again, you know, Giannis, just go look at his numbers. That guy should should be MVP. If If they don't play another game and they award the MVP, he's the MVP. Gotcha. So, Stan, kind of in L.A., you talked about the Clippers and the Lakers. Stan in L.A., you are an adjunct professor at USC. And and I've seen some of your posts online, um, and, and you seem to just really love that. You, you love that position and job. Absolutely. Just to train the journalists of the future, and these kids have great ideas, and, and they're so into it, and I think I have knowledge to give. And uh, I just, I've always been a mentor, and I thought it would be a natural, uh, you know, I've helped mentor people around uh, our business. Um, and uh, so I thought this would be great and have an opportunity to uh, mentor and teach uh, these students. And it's all that is cracked up to be. It's, it's so rewarding. The kids love it. I think the kids appreciate, like, watching me in the morning on uh, Undisputed, and then I'm in class, you know, an hour later. For sure. I think that's, yeah, you know, it's like this guy is tell, not only teaching us, but he knows because he's doing it, he's living it. And uh, I think that's a big thing for people to see. Um doesn't mean that you can't be taught by somebody who who's a, pro- a lifelong professor, because I was taught by lifelong professors, and I learned, and, and I appreciate them. But I think I offer a little something different, and it's been great. So I I, I kind of miss the kids. You know, we're teaching remotely right now, and I don't know if we'll you know we'll see them again this semester. So it's 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 really weird and stuff. But but I really appreciate teaching, and who knows, maybe when I fully retire, I'll continue to teach one or two classes or something. You know, in my uh, in my retirement, do something like that just to give back. Yeah, for sure. And Mike Bone, who's the current athletic director at USC, was the athletic director here for the Bearcats for a while. Right. And we still, I still got to get you connected with Mike Bone. Great guy. Um, like him a lot. I think you guys would have a lot of synergy. So next time I'm in LA, we're gonna make that happen. Because when I talk, we'll to make Mike, it happen. Oh, yeah, I promised that. Last time I spoke with Mike, I said, hey, I'm going to come out to L.A., and he says, hey, I'm going to give you the whole VIP tour of all the facilities and all that. So we're, we're definitely going to do that, Rob, for sure. Um, all right, that sounds great. Now, now quickly, um, and, and, and I can't interview you and, and not bring this up, but I think we've talked about a lot of amazing things that you're, you've done and are doing, but I think one of the most amazing is the fact that you just took a trip recently to Antarctica, and you've been to all seven continents. I love, love, love traveling. And I was 
I was like, I got to get there. I've been everywhere else, and I wanted to get there. And it was the most fascinating trip I've ever taken. And I think it's just that it's so far out of the way, and it's not an option for, I don't know, 99% of the population. Not, mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's not an option. And to be able to make it there and see this place that's basically been untouched by man, you know, basically, you know, obviously there's some, there are no, people said to me, well, are there hotels? Um, are there cars? Are you, you know, I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. There's nothing there. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's, it's, we stayed on a cruise ship and we would take these little boats out that would get us to land and walk around and explore. And the animals, the animals didn't run from us. They, they were right there, the penguins and the elephant seals. And the reason they didn't run from us, because man doesn't hunt them. Mm. So, so there's no reason for them to be afraid of us. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's fascinating. So they're not running or, or they come right up to you. And um, so that I thought that was great. And to see the snow, it was that it was their summertime. So it was like 29, 28, 30 degrees. So it wasn't freezing cold or anything like that where it was unbearable, but that was their summer. And um, we got to go uh, explore. And while we were, were having dinner on the boat, the whales were jumping around and you could see them out. It was just, what a, what a fascinating thing. And the thing that I got from it was coming back was that, there's nothing that I can't accomplish after I accomplish that. Like mm-hmm. nothing in front of me can stop me because if I can make it to Antarctica and come back, then how can I not accomplish these other things that are in front of me? And that really is what I took from uh, Antarctica, that anything is possible. And you, you posted a video um, shortly after you got back from your trip, and you said that in the video, I, I remember distinctly, there was a pause in this video, you're narrating it on your trip, and you just paused and said, dreams are possible. And then there was this visual of some different pictures, and that kind of that kind of hit home, you know, to me. And I think that's that, – first of all, it's amazing you've been to all seven different continents. Like, yeah, who, who, I'm, a I mean, kid, I'm a kid who grew up in Jamaica, Queens. We were not poor by any stretch of the imagination, so I'm not even going to sit here and tell you that. Um, we were a middle-class family, um, but the the idea of uh, of making it to all these places was just a dream. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Our our family vacation every year was a trip to Atlantic City. <clears throat> Excuse me, Alex. A trip to Atlantic City, you know, for for a week and the beach and the boardwalk and whatever. That was our vacation, family mm-hmm. vacation. So we weren't going all over the world and doing all these great things. And But I used to dream about these places. And and uh, I once cut out the, um, the um, what is it? Do you remember the, in the, in the newspaper, they used to have the uh, weather for all the top 80 cities in the world. Yeah, for sure. And I cut it out. And I said, I'm going to make it to all of these. That was my, so I'm, wow. I have about 60, 62 covered. So there's 18 that I still need to get to. But um, but I made it to all the continents. There's still some more cities I'd like to see. I was going to go to Russia this year, 
Um, so I'm pushing that till next year. I'm not going to go this year, but I still got a lot of places I want to cover and see, and that's just it. I'm just traveling around and trying to live the best life that I can. No doubt. And you talk about dreams. One of my dreams when I was young, shooting in the backyard was to play basketball for the Bearcats. Like, you couldn't tell me as a nine-year-old kid shooting in the snow with gloves on that I wasn't going to play for the Bearcats. And I was fortunate enough to uh, make that happen and, and play with Kenyon Martin and play for Bob Huggins. And you remember those times. What were your thoughts about, you know, just kind of a guy looking in? What were your thoughts on the Bearcats and the Bearcat basketball program at that time? Oh, yeah. I mean, you knew about the Bearcats, Bob Huggins was a uh, household name, you know, like you just knew the tradition of um, Bearcat basketball and that they they were a major player in college basketball. It, it was a program that you knew about. Cincinnati was about, uh, it was always the thing, like, you know, with Cincinnati not having an NBA team, because it's still kind of weird. Not too many cities that have uh, baseball and football don't have a basketball team. Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh's another one of those. Like Pittsburgh's a huge sports town, a big city. Pittsburgh's like that, and so is um, uh, Cincinnati. Kansas City's another one. Like Kansas City has baseball and football. It's kind of weird, but um, but because of the tradition of college basketball in Cincinnati with Xavier and and uh, UC, um, I just thought the Bearcat basketball and and I used to do radio for WSAI in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They had a sport. I don't think there's sports anymore, but mm -mm. right. WSAI. Nope. They were a sports station when I was there in the nineties. And I always remember they used to play a song for, cause they had the Bearcats games on WSAI. Mm -hmm. And um, the song they used to play to promote it. I, I'll never forget. And I looked it up. It was uh, instead of uh, there's a guy named Robert Parker who made a song called Bare, Barefoot, and they they would play that song, and it would be like Bear Catton, and that and I always remember that. I thought that was <laughs> really? the thing. You didn't know that? Yeah, I, I had no idea. I want to, I yeah. want to make some calls and find this. <laughs> you gotta find that. We're, right. bear, we're Bear Catton. Do 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 do. We're Bear Catton. Yes, because it was a song by Robert Parker. Look it up. Robert Parker is called Barefooting, and they they took a they took a um, made their own version of it. But the music is the same. It's it's awesome. I'll have to definitely check that out. Now, do you remember in two thousand the Bearcats were number one in the country, pretty much on track to get a number one seed to the NCAA tournament, and I, I think most people felt like Cincinnati was the team to beat. We were the team to beat, and my roommate on the road, my teammate, Kenyon Martin, breaks his leg, right. um, and it was devastating um, during the conference tournament, um, and the Bearcats ended uh, we ended up getting a a two seed, I believe. I think Stanford got the number one seed. So I think we dropped down because Kenyon was out. Um, and that was 2000. Do you remember who won the championship that year? 2000? 2000. And I'm going to tell you a quote. The team that won the championship, the head coach of that team, prior to the conference tournament, said this. They asked him how important the conference tournament was for his basketball team, and he said it was very important for seeding because 
he did not want to face the Bearcats until the championship game. And 2000 was Michigan State and Tom Izzo. Michigan State, that's right. And he and he said he did not want to see us at all. But only reason, only, I know that really well. That was a good team with Mateen Cleese and those guys. It was. And um, I, 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 I was on the radio in Detroit back then after, like a year or two after that. And I said to them, you know, people who were uh, all set up like, oh, yeah, Tom Izzo, and he's going to win five championships, and he's the greatest coach ever and all that. And I said that they would never – that he would never win again. And it's been 20 years. Wow. And it hasn't happened. Wow. And I just thought – yeah, I did. I thought Tom was – Fighting the system, didn't want any one and dones, you know, and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can't win. You can't win. He's yep. done it. He's changed now. Even Coach K changed. If yeah. you don't change, you become a dinosaur. No and, doubt. And and you have to. You can buck it all you want. Bobby Knight. He didn't thing. change. Bobby Knight was a great coach. He didn't change. He, didn't he refused want to... to change, yeah. Yep. And and people who do that won't win. And I, give, I always give – Coach K, credit. You know, you can sit around with your ideals and say what you want to do. That's fine, but you're not going to win any more titles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wait, let's finish with uh, some quick questions, quick answers. All right, you ready? Okay. Favorite musical artist or group of all time? Wow. I'm going to just say Aretha Franklin. There's about five hmm. or six I love. I love Aretha Franklin. Now she has. If you go on to one of your music apps, there's a there's a live album that she did, and I'll have to send it to you of her greatest hits. Uh, and it was, gosh, I forget how many years ago she recorded it prior to her death. It is amazing, man. It she is. She was an unbelievable singer. Unbelievable. No doubt. All right. So number two, who is the one person you can say that has impacted your life the most? Oh, other than like parents? Yes. Other than parents. This is going to sound crazy, but Joanna, Joanne Lee, she was my journalism teacher when I was in grad school at Columbia University. Mm-hmm. And um, I had over, I was working at the Daily News at the time when I went to Columbia and she she called me into her office, and she said to me, you know, you, you know what a story is. You know how to write. You know all this stuff. She said, I need more from you. She said, you, you can't do what your fellow classmates are doing because they're not, they're not as uh, advanced as you are. So she said to me, she was a small Asian woman, and she mm-hmm. walked up to me, and, and I say that because I'm six foot four and black. And I, <laughs> I, you know, she walks up to me. She sticks her finger in my back, and she said, I want you to dig deep for the stories. I want you to stick the knife in, turn it, and draw blood. That's what I want from you. And Mm. when people ask about my writing style and how come I'm so mean or so tough on people, it came from Joanne Lee. Wow. that's That's the message I got at Columbia Journalism School. Huh. That's good. That's good stuff. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. Take the knife no, no, in, no. turn it, and draw blood. That's what I live by. And and it's 
it's so cool to hear that because there's so many teachers, I think educators and coaches that say things or do things that inspire, you know, young people that sometimes the teachers and coaches don't even know until right. until somebody tells them, hey, thank you. You you inspired me. You pushed me. So I'm definitely good and to hear. you did push me because most of the people who were at journalism school at that time they were looking for jobs. They had just graduated. They were, you know, going on for another year. I was at the, I was at the Daily News in New York. I was at the largest paper in the country as a staff writer. I got hired when I was 22 years old, and here I am, 24 years old, getting my master's at an Ivy League school. And this teacher pulls me aside and said, "I got to work harder than I'm working. Not that wow. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to, but I, I should do more." That that motivated me. Yeah, she saw the potential for sure. All right, my next question. Favorite? And this is this is one of the most important questions, Rob. Forget everything else I've asked you. What's your favorite Air Jordan sneaker of all time? Wow. The what is it? Is it four or five? Uh, the premiums. Um, you know which ones I'm talking about. The uh, well, the Jordan Fives had the Ben Five, which I was part of. Um, no, I think they're the fours, the premiums. They're like double leather, all leather. Um, I wish I could, but they're called premiums. Yeah, there were. Um, well, there's the off whites too now, but you're talking about was this some years back? Yeah, this is years back. Okay, like it cost four hundred dollars. And and that's the that's the retail price four hundred dollars. And you're, so you're even like, you know what I mean? It ain't like that's the markup. That's the re- retail price is four hundred. Right, right. And you're you're a big sneakerhead. I know you're trying to cut down on your addiction to sneakers. Oh yeah, Rob, this year this year I haven't bought any, and here we are since April. I haven't bought any, but um, no, I love sneakers, and I was buying like a pair a week, and I love the Jordans. I'm, I'm all in on Jordans. That's my that's my sneaker. No, no doubt. All right, so if you could trade your life for one person, with one person, who would it be? Mm. Wow. Wow. Um, never thought of that because uh, because I really like my life. I would say, I, I can't tell you who, but I would say this. Mm-hmm. I would I would trade the only thing I would want to trade than what I'm doing in my life I have would be to be a TV sitcom writer and have my own uh, creator of a TV show and and write for it like that mm. that's the only other thing I ever wanted to do if I wasn't a sports writer I'd be a sitcom writer like it but, but my life I love my life. <laughs> And you've had a great life thus far. So, yes. and actually, that that writing actually leads to my last question. <clears throat> and I just, you know, I follow the the radio show, The Odd Couple. So, um, this question is kind of related to some different things you've talked about on the show. If you could be the opening act for any comedian, dead or alive. Who would it be? Because I know you want to be a comedian, Rob. I know I do. you. Will. I want. Yes, I want to do stand up at some point when we could gather again as a group, as people. I would love to still do it. 
Arsenio Hall is going to bring me to the stage. He's already told me that. He wants to do it, which is awesome. <laughs> Another Ohio guy, Cleveland guy. Um, That's right. Uh, but I would say uh, e- either, if it could have been anybody, I would say uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie hmm. Murphy, when he was on Saturday Night Live, yeah. was one of the funniest guys around. I just mm-hmm. I, I remember when they announced that he was leaving and going to make movies. And I was devastated. I, I yeah. just was like, dude, this guy is so funny. I was mad. You know what I mean? I was happy for his success. But I knew Saturday Night Live wouldn't be as funny as it was. I used to watch that just to see that guy and what he could do. He's so talented. No doubt about that. He He's, he's my favorite. And I'll tell you this, too. So I still have these. My father, he bought eight cassette tapes and they were a series red fox oh yeah recorded these comedy specials that he did in this random bar in new york and there were eight different cassettes of them and it's just him no breaks he's just improvising he's messing with the crowd he's going to bar it is the best comedy you've ever heard i can't find it anywhere else i just have these cassettes and oh, I Red, believe it. Red Fox was funny. Red Fox. No doubt. Now, um, l- listen to this one. This, this would be the, just kind of um, off subject here, but Kenny Rogers passed away last night. Did you see that? Oh, did he? Yes, Kenny Rogers died last night, 81 years old. Wow. Yep. yep. Kenny Rogers passed away, and there was a uh, – <laughs> You'll end up probably seeing it because it's starting to make its rounds on social media. But there is a video of Kenny Rogers. Did you know Kenny Rogers had a celebrity basketball game? No, I didn't know that. And Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins played in it. And Kenny Rogers scored on Michael Jordan. Wow, they got video? Yes, it is hilarious. (laughs) You you have to see it. So that leads me to ask you this. If there was one player in basketball history that you would love to score on in a celebrity game, who would that be? Wow. In a celebrity basketball game. Could be any any player. Let's see. Kenyon Martin, how's that? (laughs) (laughs) Because you know we do we've done some shows together on FS1. So Kenyon Martin, there you go. Oh yeah, and Kenyon talks a lot of trash. He was a great one of the great defenders in college basketball. So, hey Rob, can you do me a favor and just shout out some of the different things that you're doing, and then also shout out uh, your social media, how people can listen and follow. Okay. Yep. So you can hear me seven to ten p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports Radio. It's the Odd Couple with Chris Broussard and myself. Uh, FS1, Undisputed, and The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Also, I write a column for theshadowleague.com. Go online and read that. And uh, you can uh, get me on uh, Instagram and on Twitter, at Rob Parker FS1. So those are all the things you need if you need to catch me, and uh, I appreciate everybody listening. Yeah, Rob, I appreciate you coming on. Some great stories. Um, The Cincinnati folks, the fans here will definitely appreciate the red stories and uh, just your history here in town. So I want to thank you for coming on the Bearcat Basketball Podcast.
I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at BigMeach41. And soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats.